Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. It's time for Lombardi Memories. So to take you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips. You can visit my website at TommyAPhillips.com where you can find all of my books. Today we have Super Bowl 35, which was held on January 28, 2001 at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida between the first-time AFC champion Baltimore Ravens and the three-time NFC champion New York Giants. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, what two combined records did this Super Bowl set? The answer will come at the end of the podcast. All the talk about the Baltimore Ravens this year was about their defense. They gave up only 165 points in a 16-game season which was the lowest amount given up in that length of a season all time, even better than the 1985 Bears. Linebacker Ray Lewis was the leader of the defense, with defensive end Rob Burnett picking up a team-high 10.5 sacks and defensive back Dwayne Starks picking off six passes. The Ravens also had linebacker Peter Boulware, defensive tackles Sam Adams and Tony Siragusa, defensive backs Chris McAllister and Rod Woodson, and more. They were just teeming with talent on the defensive side of the ball. On offense, the Ravens relied on running back Jamal Lewis, who rushed for over 1,300 yards and six touchdowns. The Ravens also had a backup in Priest Holmes, whose potential was still untapped. Tight end Sam Sarp led the team in receiving with 67 catches for 810 yards. Quadri Ismail was a top wideout, going for 49 catches for 655 yards. Each, each of those two, Sarp and Ismail, had five touchdowns. As for the quarterback position, Tony Banks spent much of the year as a starter, but he was ineffective posting a passer rating of 69.3 
with eight interceptions to go with his eight touchdowns. Head coach Brian Billick inserted journeyman Trent Dilfer. He wasn't much better, throwing 12 touchdowns against 11 interceptions, but he was a solid game manager. Interesting for all the grief the Ravens got for weak quarterbacking, the two starters combined for over 3,000 yards passing. The Ravens started the season 5-1 with three shutouts, including one over the Steelers in Week 1. The Ravens then lost three straight games in mid-season while scoring only 15 points combined in those three games. They got things together on offense under Dilfer, then went on to win their final seven games of the regular season and scored at least 24 points in all but one game. They went to the playoffs as a 12-4 wild card in the playoffs they, the defense gave up only one touchdown in three games. They beat Denver 21-3 in the wildcard round, division champion Tennessee 24-10 in the divisional round, and Oakland 16-3 in the AFC Championship game. They were headed to the Super Bowl for the first time as a franchise because the NFL considers the Ravens a separate entity from the Cleveland Browns, but the Browns have still never gone to a Super Bowl anyway. As for the New York Giants, they started the season 7-2 and two before two straight losses had everyone questioning the future of this team. Head coach Jim Fassel confidently said, this team is going to the playoffs. They then played like a playoff team, winning their final five regular season games to claim the number one seed in the NFC at 12-4. The Giants got by Philadelphia 20-10 in the divisional round before embarrassing the Minnesota Vikings 41-0 in the NFC Championship game to clinch their first berth in the Super Bowl in 10 years. The Giants were led by quarterback Kerry Collins, who came over from Carolina and New Orleans to his third team. This was arguably his greatest season, although he did have a few similar seasons to this one. He threw for over 3,600 yards and 22 touchdowns with only 13 interceptions for a passer rating of 83.1. Running back Tiki Barber ran for 1,000 yards and 8 touchdowns and also caught 70 passes for over 700 yards. While receiver Amani Toomer went over 1,000 yards receiving, scored 8 touchdowns, 7 through the air. The Giants' defense wasn't as ballyhooed as the Ravens' defense, but he did have defensive end Michael Strahan with 9.5 sacks and defensive back Jason Seahorn. Raiders legendary head coach Tom Flores was given the honor of tossing the coin to begin the game, and the Giants won it and chose to receive. Giants returner Ron Dixon took back the kickoff to the 21. This began a very boring series of three and outs to start the game. Neither offense could do much of anything, while both defenses were completely in control. Collins had almost had two of his first couple passes intercepted 
before going three and out. The teams traded punts four times before the Giants finally got something going on a drive. Collins hit receiver Ike Hillier for 13 yards and a first down. That was it, though, and the Giants punted again. Receiver Jermaine Lewis for the Ravens brought the ensuing punt back all the way to the Giants 22, though he got knocked back a bit due to a holding penalty. Two plays into the new drive, Dilfer put up a long one for receiver Brandon Stokely. He caught it for a 38-yard touchdown. The Ravens went up 7-0, and to be honest, that was the game right there. The Giants went three and out three more times before the first or between the first and second quarters. The Ravens were not much better. They fumbled a punt, but they recovered it after a loss about 10 yards. And then Strahan sacked Dilfer, and that ended another drive. The struggles just went back and forth as Collins threw a pass that was tipped by Ray Lewis and intercepted by linebacker Jamie Sarper. Dilfer followed with a pick six on the next play to linebacker Jesse Armstead, but it didn't count. Giants were called for holding on the play. The Ravens ended up punting once again, but they were still up 7-0 at the end of the first quarter. Collins threw to Toomer for a 20-yard pass, then he hit Hilliard over in the middle for a first down to get into Baltimore territory for the first time in this game. Ravens defensive end Keith Washington sacked Collins, though, and the Giants were forced to punt once more. The Ravens then put together a drive. Dilfer threw the Stokely for seven yards before going long for Quadri Ismail for a 44-yard gain down the left sideline. After the two-minute warning, Dilfer threw to receiver Jermaine Lewis, getting to the 30. And then... After this play, there was a loud disagreement between the two teams. Other than that, it was a fight. But Greg Gumbel called it a loud disagreement. <laughs> and, um, well, the Ravens couldn't make it any further, so they had Matt Stober kick a 47-yard field goal, and it was 10 nothing. The Giants drove downfield fast, with Collins throwing to Dixon for 16 yards, and handing off the barber for a tackle-breaking run down inside the Ravens' 30 for a first down. The Giants could have gone to the half with at least three points, but instead Collins threw an interception to McAllister at the two. The Ravens ran out the clock, and their lead sat at 10-0 through one half. Jermaine Lewis returned the opening kickoff of the second half to the 46, but it got called back on a holding penalty. Dilfer completed a pass to Stokely for a first down past the 30, but a sack by Strahan and defensive tackle Cornelius Griffin forced another punt. Collins got the ball back and threw to Hilliard for a first down across the 35. He was then sacked by defensive end Michael McCrary. On his next throw, defensive back Kim Herring picked him off. Meanwhile, Dilfer had to leave the game because of a thumb injury caused by the previous drive. Banks came into the game at quarterback and he threw one pass that fell incomplete. 
Holmes took the Ravens down, Priest Holmes that is, took the Ravens down inside the 25, but Stover missed a 41-yard field goal wide left that would have expanded the lead. After another three and out by New York, Dilford came back into the game. He threw three incomplete passes and the Ravens were forced to kick it again. Collins immediately threw an interception to defensive back Dwayne Starks, who returned it all the way for a touchdown. That made it 17-0 in favor of the Ravens. After that came the most peculiar, thrilling, nonsensical part of any Super Bowl. Ron Dixon of the Giants took the next kickoff from his own three and went 97 yards for a touchdown. It was the fourth longest kickoff in Super Bowl history. Giants were all excited. They had new life in the game. They finally were on the board. They were getting all pumped up. And that was immediately followed by Jermaine Lewis of the Ravens taking back a short kick, 84 yards for a touchdown. The only thing I can really say about these returns is that they were fast. There weren't many broken tackles. There's just a whole lot of speed. Dixon's return gave the Giants that new life and hope, and only to have it all destroyed by the Ravens' answering return. It was now 24-7 after three touchdowns in 36 seconds, and none of them offensive touchdowns. The Giants went three and out to end the third quarter. The Ravens got one first down on the pass to tight end Ben Coates, but then they had to punt it back. New York started deep in their own territory after a Kyle Richardson punt down to the eight. Collins fumbled on second down, but the Giants kept possessing inside their own five. Brad Maynard punted, and the Ravens got the ball back at the Giants' 38. Dilfer went back to Coates for 17 yards and a first down. Jamal Lewis then ran the ball on four of the next five plays, with the other of those five plays being a New York penalty. He took the final one down of those carries down the sideline and extended the ball across the goal line. It was ruled a touchdown. Fassel challenged it. After reviewing the play, the ruling on the field stood. New York was charged a timeout. It was now 31-7. And then, to make matters worse, Ron Dixon fumbled away a kickoff at his own 35. That eliminated the final hopes New York had had at making a comeback. The Ravens eventually kicked a 34-yard field goal to make it 34-7, then held on to that lead for the rest of the game. Baltimore had its first champion team since the 1970 Baltimore Colts. Ray Lewis won MVP of this game simply because he was the leader of the defense. Don't get me wrong, though, he deserved it. Because he was basically a quarterback on defense. And, you know, maybe he... um, didn't have a good day statistically. He had a bunch of tackles, but no sacks or uh, interceptions. But 
if I'm going to go to the second best player in the, on this game, I'm going to actually give it to the punter, Kyle Richardson. He kicked it 10 times, and a couple of those really pinned back the Giants and set up scores. There are lots of defensive players who deserve this honor as well, but since it's so hard to pick between them, I'm going with the punter. The MVP for the losing Giants had to be Ron Dixon. Yes, he fumbled a return away in the fourth quarter, but that was after the game was already decided. And that 97-yard kickoff return, it was sensational. It was probably the only good moment for, for New York on this whole day. As for least valuable player, well, it's kind of easy. As much as I love him for being a Penn State alum, we are. He threw four interceptions, no touchdowns. He was Kerry Collins, the quarterback of the New York Giants. And to top that off, some of those interceptions came at the worst possible time. Sadly, this is the only time he'd ever reach the Super Bowl. Now, I could go with Tiki Barber because he didn't really do much in this game, but at least he didn't turn the ball over. The best player you don't remember? How about defensive end Michael McCrary? He had a big sack and helped the Baltimore defensive line completely shut down the New York running game while constantly getting pressure on Collins. As for the top play of this game, it had to be Jermaine Lewis's kickoff return to Matt Dixon. The Giants felt like they had new life down 17-7. Their entire team was excited, pumped up, and then came Lewis' return. It was all over just like that. The biggest play you don't remember is Collins' interception right before the half. That one kind of gets lost in all the big plays in this game. The missed opportunity could have made it 10-3 or 10-7. Pretty much doomed the Giants because they couldn't get any points there. You just simply cannot have a turnover in that situation. Now for the pop quiz question for today is something. There are two things that combined between the two teams had the most in Super Bowl history. One of them's obvious, the kickoff returns for touchdowns. There were two of them. No Super Bowl before that had two returns for kickoffs. But the other record is sent was the most punts. 21 punts. 11 by the Giants, 10 by the Ravens. That's just crazy. So much punting. <laughs> now you know why I went with a punter for uh, one of the best players of the Ravens on this game. Now, for homework this week, go with Storybook Season by the Baltimore Sun. Look over at abooks.com. That's abebooks.com for that one. So I couldn't find it on Amazon. The Ravens were some team in 2000, but it take them 12 more years to get back to the Super Bowl. Next week, we tackle one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time, Super Bowl 36, between the St. Louis Rams and the New England Patriots. This is the start of one dynasty and the end of another. Look forward to it in two weeks. As for, the, for now, this is Tommy A. Phillips, 
You can find all my books at TommyAPhillips.com. Great 80s and nifty 90s and soon to be a 70s book as well that will be coming soon. But until then, so long. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.